kind of words do you use? Are they words that build up or tear down? Let's talk about that next. I can remember the commercial from a few years ago, people judge you by the words you use. And to be sure, our words carry a lot of meaning, a lot of impact. So the question is, is your speech speech that builds up or tears down? Here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul admonishes us to build up. That's what we'll look at today as our series, God's Design for Life, continues. Hi and welcome. Join us, won't you? Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is giving ethics uh, of what the new life in Christ looks like. And I keep praying to the Lord, I'm not just an ethicist preacher. Uh, No cross, no salvation. Every religion has got its litmus test of the good things you're supposed to do. You can have a mile-long list and keep them and not go to heaven. So I want you to know that. Paul wrote one letter, six chapters, and the church heard all of this at once. And so they know that they've been saved. Uh, They've come to Christ. They've stepped out of paganism. But I must say something, the brilliance about the ethics that he is uh, giving them, and you'll really see it when we get into a husband-wife relationship, how you treat children, uh, slave-master relationships in chapter 5, that these are revolutionary ethics for the Gentile world who had no uh, Torah, who had no law from Moses. Uh, We made up our rules. We did whatever we wanted. And I just think of uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, where Barney Ayat was. When you go among these uh, native peoples that have not been in touch with civilization very much, the ethics don't hardly exist. There's a few things. Everything is blood revenge, uh, lots of adultery, stealing is a way of life, and there are no absolute rules. But when you and I come to Christ, instead of making up a behavior list, he's telling us, put off this behavior that had been a part of your life, and this is the behavior God has saved you unto. And it's very important. Uh, This is not the Valley Bible list, by the way. This is the revealed list from heaven. Uh, People, are you putting us under legalism? No, no, no. There's more nonsense over the term. Most folks don't even know what it is that use the word. I want to be legal, but I don't want to be legalistic. That's too deep. We'll move on. Um, See, one involves a motive. The other involves just the action. I can never earn my righteousness before God, no matter how many rules I keep. My righteousness is a gift righteousness imputed to me freely by grace. And you can't improve on that righteousness. But now that I have that standing, I have to begin to live out that righteousness in my ethics and my walk. I have a righteous standing before God because my Savior gave me his righteousness to my account. Free gift, supernatural. But now his spirit is working out through my members God's kind of ethics, God's kind of behavior. And so we've been looking at the list and kind of going through it like a snail, 
because I feel some of you have not yet caught up to these ethics. And so uh, 20, verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, he uses this kind of a, when you're looking through here, he'll say the negative don't do, the positive to do, and then he gives a motive. Don't do lying. Tell the truth. Why? You're members one of another. And this pattern just goes right through here. In your anger, in case you get angry, and for some of you, he had to tell you that because you've hardly ever experienced anger. And so he says, in case you get angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but work must work doing something useful with his own hands. Now, don't steal. Start to work. What's the motive? I don't want to work. Work in order that you might buy a brand new home. That's the capitalistic work ethic. That he may have something to put in his four-car garage. That he might have more in his savings account. That he may have something to share with his children who will all fight over the will. No. That he may have something to share with those. You got to be kidding. And God's not kidding. This has never been found in a capitalistic work ethic that I know of. It's usually self-aggrandizement. But he says, work not just because your own needs are supplied, but work that you might help those in need. What a work ethic. Not just, I've got my own needs supplied, so I, I don't need any more money. Had you ever thought if you had extra money, what you could do with those who have no money? It's a little radical. So he's talking to them, stop stealing. And I, I just want to, several things. Stealing is a way of life. Has anyone ever heard of Enron? I think when we think of thieving and stealing, we think of thugs. We think of panhandlers. We think of stealing a Coke here or, you know, as kids doing some ornery, stole a ball glove or that. But just think of one company in America taking, in, in, in essence, stripping thousands of people of their retirement benefits for life. While they gave themselves multi-million dollar bonuses. Is that stealing? What about government, government projects? Out here trying to keep some spotted owl alive forever. Don't, I don't want any stoning or letters. I mean, some of these projects are so mundane. I mean, stealing on all levels, government, Enron, thugs, car thefts. Some of you guys around here work in retail. And what I hear is our greatest profits are lost through employees stealing everything. Stealing this, stealing that. We just can't track it enough. Stealing is a way of life. Uh, James 5 says to uh, owners that uh, you've paid your help so poorly that their wages cry out to you until the day of judgment when God will collect 
the unfair wages you never did give them. So if you're an owner and you're not fair with people here, just because he's a Mexican, does that mean he's worthy of a fair pay? Or is it determined, does ethnicity determine pay? God's looking on. God's watching the way we treat people with a dollar. Is it just, doesn't matter if their needs are met. We just don't have that sensitivity because they don't need it. Oh no, no, God is looking on. Stealing wages, stealing from the employees, stealing, 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 and the Gentile world was full of it. Now, one of the most remarkable ways you can know a person got saved is they quit being a thief and became a philanthropist. <laughs> they stopped stealing and they started working to supply their needs. I give you three examples of stealing in the Bible. When, when the devil came and told Adam and Eve, why don't you take the fruit of that tree? Was that not stealing? If God says, don't take something and you take what does not belong, was that not an act of stealing? Don't covet your neighbor's wife, his animals, his possessions. Why coveting will move you if it's strong enough desire, you'll overreach desire and engage in the act. You'll steal another man's wife. You'll steal his goods. And God says, the whole human race is in the message in because Adam and Eve stole something I told them they couldn't have. I think of Acts 5. My, the Holy Spirit has come. The book of Acts is going. The apostles are healing the sick. They're preaching in Jerusalem. I mean, thousands of Jews are coming to the Lord. Gentiles are being saved. It's just marvelous. And all of a sudden, a stewardship campaign is going on in Acts 5. Touching the future in the book of Acts. And Ananias and Sapphira say, we will give so much. The Lord's got it. Here it is, Lord. Wonderful. Put them down. And then, when they went out and sold their property, they made so good on it, greed set in, and uh, they just decided they ought to keep it for themselves. And Peter and them show up and says, well, Ananias, Sapphira, we... We're here to, I, we heard you had some funds. You wanted to help the saints and feed the poor. And yeah, no, uh, we lied about, we're going to tell you a little lie here. We made more. We don't want you to know about it. And as they walk out the door, boom, Ananias dies. And they carry him out. Sapphire must have been getting him a cup of coffee. She doesn't know what's going on. She comes in. Where's Ananias? Oh, you don't need to know right now. How much money did you get? She tells the same lie. Boom. I mean, the, some of the first people in the church are killed by the Holy Spirit over lying. If God was to kill people over their lies about giving, half of you'd be dead. We, we lie to God. You talk about stealing. I hear a passage in Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? Absolutely. He's the favorite one we love to rob. He's slow at bill collecting, but he'll get to it because he's never mocked. Will people rob thieves? 
A lot of members are thieves. They're thieves with God, just no one knows it. They lie, the profit's always for them. It's never for God, it's never for the poor. They always play poor boy when there's a need because greed dominates their life. And here he's telling these Gentile believers as well as Jewish believers, says, hey, the proof that you put on the new man and you put off the old is what you do with your resources and how you get them. Now you'll work an honest job, put in an honest day's worth of work, and he tells them that in the rest of the epistles, work as unto God, not just an employer, not just a supervisor. Your work ethic is God's watching what I'm doing on my time. And if I get a 15 minute coffee break, God knows I don't take an hour coffee break because God is my manager supervisor. You know, pastors have to know that. I have no one managing me. Now I've got a lot of managers around here because there's somebody, we got an office full, but when I first started, first 10 years, I didn't have a secretary. Uh, it was just me and an, uh, an old residential house down in Pinole. And well, eventually I got a guy in there about six, maybe seven years, but for six or seven years, none of you would know if I'm putting in a day's worth of work or not. And you'd say he golfs all the time, but if you knew my score, you know I'm not golfing a lot. <laughs> Don't blame golf. You can't be doing that bad and playing very much golf. No, you see, and I've, I've seen missionaries and I've seen pastors that are lazy because no one's there supervising them. They're kind of in charge. And you ask them, what's your work week like? And it's just slough time. And uh, most that I've seen work more hours than they ever get paid for because they have high motivation. But we have that danger too. But he says there, put off stealing. And in John 10, he says that the false shepherd, the thief comes to kill and destroy, but Christ in contrast to a thief, he said, but I am a good shepherd uh, who lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, I don't take from the sheep, I give my life for the sheep. The thief and the robber come to steal a sheep, destroy their soul, but I am the good shepherd and my ambition in life is not to get sheep necessarily, but to die for sheep. I'll get them, but I'll die first. I don't get them free. I don't get them without great cost and so the good shepherd lays down his life that he might give you life abundantly. What a, what a picture of God. The great benevolent giver. The great generous outpouring God. That's why the worst contradiction in the world is to say you know a generous God and be a stingy person. It just doesn't fit. To know a loving God and be a hateful person. It just it's just, wow, it's just, it's a clinging gong. It's noisy, but it's not authentic. So he tells them, uh, I want you to work. By the way, I, I had a man one time in this church. Uh, he, he never could get work, he said. And uh, his wife kept working. And he, he would just kind of hang out and, and all this and that. And one day he came into the office for an appointment because she was getting upset with him. Uh, he's kind of enjoying it. I had the feeling every day, said, oh, I hope I don't get one today. And uh, came in, 
and says, I can't get work. I can't get work. And a brainstorm hit me. I thought it was rather brilliant. I said, do this. Put in eight hours a day looking for work until you get work. So that you could say to God at the end of the week, you worked. You see, work was never given as a curse. He told Adam and Eve to take care of the garden before the fall. What intensified was how hard they'd have to work, Adam for sure, uh, to take care of it. But work is not a curse. And you know what? The man took the counsel and I think he was, had gotten a job within a week. Because he put the work in getting work. And I'd say, and we had another man in this church. I think it was marvelous. Uh, anytime he was out of work, he, he had his own business and he was a carpenter, helped us build this other building here. Uh, when he was out of work, he would normally come by the church and say, are there any projects I can do? Always do them free, never charges. What can I do? And one day I said, Mitch, why do you always do that? He said, I get in trouble when I'm not working. Uh, he said, I, my mind becomes idle and, and I feel worthless and I get into trouble. Uh, and so we always had projects and he'd be doing projects for people in the church. It was his way to stay out of trouble and he did so much good work on behalf of the church. I thought it was a marvelous work ethic in him, still has it. Well, he goes from uh, working and by the way, even God rests. It's no sin to rest. Some of you need to rest. You need a Sabbath in your life. Uh, wherever that is, you need to find out where can I just rest and reflect on how good God is. Some of you won't do that, so God will probably let you get sick. And he lets you do that to show you the universe keeps running even when you're not doing anything. We need that once in a while to say things will run if you are sick. And it's very, very humiliating. Every time, you know, I say every time I go away or get sick, the church has a revival. I'm, I'm, I won't admit the connection, but I figured it out. Uh, look at verse 29. It says here, the second ethic. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Oh, what is negative speech? The word unwholesome, it was used of rotten fruit and rotten fish. It was used of stones that were crumbling. And so it came to have the idea of rotten speech or maybe a better term, destructive speech. That was the Greek meaning of the word. So negative speech uh, has a destructive effect on the hearer. That's the idea. Uh, and then he uses in Ephesians 5, 4, some other terms. He says, there should not be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And uh, obscene language was just dirty, uh, vulgar. Uh, some scholars believe these three words all refer to sexual innuendos, uh, but it's the idea of just 
filthy, trash talk, you know, rapper music. How any Christian young person can listen to rapper music. And no, 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 you, you can't listen to rapper music with divine approval. That, that is sinful, you know. When they, they're saying you're sleeping with your mother and you ought to kill the policeman. Oh, I just listen to this all the time. I just get built up. Oh, get out of here. First, it's not music. And second, it's trash. I mean, that, the whole theme of rap, much rap music, is just trash talk, dirty talk. He says, for believers, put that off. And then he said, foolish talking. Get rid of that. Uh, it's the talk of fools. Fools are uh, boastful, arrogant, angry, uh, obstinate, uh, irreverent. Uh, cut out talking like the fool and just read Proverbs and he would tell you how fools think and how they talk. Then he says, coarse jesting. And this is a tricky one. It's kind of hard to figure out its meaning. But it's the idea that a normal statement is made and you twist it. And it's kind of like... Uh, a team comedy, the straight face here is saying the line and the other is twisting it to mean something else. And they're getting vulgarity, um, double meanings that are not intended in the straight line. So it's a little tricky word to define. What's coarse jesting? That you joke about, you're honestly saying something, but you're inserting dirt, vulgarity, questionable meanings. And so he says, beware of that. Beware of that kind of talk. I would say uh, another talk that we always got to watch is the opposite of Thanksgiving is ungrateful talk. It's amazing how we are very vocal about what we don't like and very quiet about what we do like. Everybody knows you didn't like this or that, but do you ever speak up for the positive. Some of you are frozen in this area. You have the gift of criticism, but you think it's weak to ever encourage because you have a warped sense of what the Bible teaches. You know, always it's your duty to tell us always what's not pleasing because this is boldness. And you're as silent as a lamb. And we only hear from you when you see something you don't like. You need to balance it out. Ungrateful speech is probably what your kids may hear from you the most. I didn't like the way you did that. I didn't like that. I don't like that. Do you ever balance it out with affirmative words to family or friends? Well, the balance. Um, Proverbs tells us some things like this about the mouth. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Isn't that powerful? If you could just learn to keep your mouth shut, you could be delivered from half of your problems, probably. And we all said, oh, amen, oh me, you don't know if amen or oh me. Uh, listen to Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words have power. I, I gave you a bunch of references, but just look at chapter 15 of Proverbs. We don't have time to look at all these references, but I thought you and your husband would like to go over these with your family for family devotions. 
Look at 15.4. The tongue that brings what? Speech with positive effects. The tongue. Have you ever had someone speak the word that healed your soul? What about the gospel? Hearing the gospel and believing the good news will heal your soul. He said, beautiful are the feet of the messengers of the gospel. People who bear the gospel, look at their feet. Most feet are ugly. It's why we keep them covered. <laughs> the only pretty feet in the house are those that bear good news. If you bear bad news, keep your feet covered. Beautiful are the feet of those who bear good news because it heals the heart and the hurts of people. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our series is called God's Design for Your Life. As we close the program out, we would invite you to contact us if you would like to obtain a copy for yourself of either today's message or the entire series. Call us today, 855-833-9864. Again, information can be had at 855-833-9864 or simply visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. If you would like a copy of today's program, a prayer request, maybe you would like to partner with us financially, we would love to hear from you. Call, drop by our website, or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. God bless.